In this week's episode of the Sleep Trust Podcast, I'm super excited because I'm going to talk with Monica Sharma, a sleep doctor, sleep expert from India, and the founder of Sleep Moksha. So what we're going to do today is just to have a chat about COVID-19, what else, because it's omnipresent, and see what impact COVID has on our sleep as a population and for us as individuals, and the other way around, what sleep can do for or against COVID-19. But first off, hi, Monica. Thanks for joining the Sleep Trust podcast. Hello, Michael. Good to see you, and thank you for having me. Oh, I'd love to have you here. So maybe let's get started uh, to give you the chance to introduce yourself and to introduce Sleep Moksha, which you're the founder of. Great. Um, so, Michael, thank you for the introduction. Yes, um, I specialize in behavioral sleep medicine and Sleep Moksha, we are into sleep consulting, education and coaching. And we offer sleep services designed to help people feel more relaxed and confident about their sleep. And at the same time, provide them with the lifelong tools they need to think and behave like a good sleeper. So uh, as a BSM um, specialist and researcher, my work revolves around helping teens, adults, companies improve their sleep by creating the culture and working environment that enables them to give their best by performing at their optimum levels all day. And my clinical area of focus is sleep quality, duration, and insomnia. And my research focuses primarily uh, management of sleep disorders in patients with coronary artery disease. And um, all of our interventions, uh, we have a multifaceted approach to treating sleep and common emotional problems. And uh, we believe in targeting on understanding and treating the root causes rather than attempting to address the symptoms. So all, all of the treatments are drug-free and non-invasive. That's great. And I love that approach because it's exactly the approach that Sleep Trust takes too, as you know, and we've got a lot of comments. So uh, look at sleep at, at COVID now, this big thing that is omnipresent and spreads a lot of negativity, I'd say, around populations. Uh, what's your opinion on what, what is this doing to us as a population or even as individuals when it comes to our sleep? Right, Michael. So I say that COVID-19 is a perfect storm for sleep, you know. So, um, so what happened in the early days of lockdown, I mean, we all went into trauma panic mode, isn't it? We were all trying to get the office, home office set up, you know, in order to work from home. We were trying to homeschool. We still are trying to homeschool our children. You know, um, I see most people are doing full eight hours from home. Some are made to do 18 hours a day working from home. Um, you know, we are just trying to ensure everyone is eating well. We are trying to cope with social distancing. We are trying to understand the new normal, um, so to say. And this is also overwhelming, you know. And um, so, you know, when people go to bed, their minds are racing. You know, they have thoughts like, oh, did I do a good enough job at homeschooling today? Did I get enough work done? Do I have enough food for my family? Should I be going out for grocery? Is it safe? And, you know, it just doesn't stop. So even leaving a COVID aside, Michael, I think the circumstances we've been thrown into and navigating the physical practicalities of it um, is what is causing um, 
you know, a lot of anxiety and sleeplessness globally. It's just massive, isn't it? And when I, you know, when I think about, obviously, we have to be careful and conscious about a disease like COVID. But on the other side, I also think it's just spreading out so much anxiety into the population. And, and, you know, I just finished off reading um, You Are the Placebo from Dr. Joe Dispenza. And it just made clear again what we essentially know, especially we as behavioral, you know, therapists and and, uh, people that work in that area, that our mind has an impact on our body. So even though we are kind of genetically wired, Dr. Joe Dispenza scientifically laid out that our thoughts have an impact on which genes get, you know, triggered and which don't. So if we think positive, we're more likely to keep healthy, right? So it's a thing where, where I kind of personally have a hard time to, to figure out, okay, what, you know, how are we as a population able to be careful without getting anxious about it? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yes. Um, so anxieties now revolve around, I mean, they're everywhere. They're staring at us 24 seven, you know, they revolve around work, money, family life, health, and other crucial issues, you know, that demand a person's attention um, without necessarily requiring the fight or flight reaction. So, uh, you know, typically what I say about anxiety is that um, it's okay, you know, to be anxious and worried at this point. I mean, the whole world collapsed and if this won't make us anxious and stressed out, what else would? So these are usual reactions to unusual circumstances. If you look at it, anxiety is a normal reaction. It is a normal emotion, you know, so um, it's our mind's natural response to intense stress. And if you think about it, stress is a preservation instinct. It's your brain's way of reacting to stress and alerting uh, you from potential danger ahead. So, um, you know, so when an individual faces potentially harmful or worrying triggers, feelings of anxiety are not only normal, but necessary for survival. So everyone feels anxious now and then, but yeah, there there is a thin line between, you know, uh, normal anxiety and clinical anxiety. So um, yes, the nervous feeling before an important event or during a difficult situation, and that'll echo of the original fight or flight reaction, we know that. Um, um, uh, There are a group of mental illnesses that cause constant and overwhelming anxiety and fear, you know, especially in people, those who already have some mental health or psychiatric history or people who already have some physical conditions, um, you know, so they are the ones who are feeling all the more overwhelmed, you know, and, and, and they are in a tight space right now. I think that there are a couple of things that just build up with this COVID thing because it's kind of omnipresent. It doesn't matter if you turn on the TV, the radio, if you talk to your neighbor, if you're allowed to do so at the moment. So uh, you mm-hmm. kind of always hear COVID. So it's very hard, even if you, you, you would like to kind of get out of that space to, to, to get out of that. And, you know, you, you, uh, if, if we're talking about lockdowns, it's always also making it harder to move our bodies, which would be better for in regard to fighting stress or anxiety to have a run or, you know, do things like that. Uh, I think there are a couple of things that are just building up. So what, what do you think uh, would be a good approach to, to, to kind of cover, to, 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 to um, narrow down that anxiety? So what, what would be a couple of really good things, practical things that people could do to kind of just um, 
narrow down the anxiety? Yeah, so, you know, Michael, as I just mentioned that um, first is that let's let's make peace with it. Let's let's accept it that, look, this is what the new normal is. This is not something that we had signed for. We've been thrown into it. And, uh, you know, this is a bit of reality right now. So one is that, you know, um, we, we keep complaining about it. And the other is that we look at the ways that we can cope with it, you know. So making peace with it is... I think number one, being sensitive to signs and symptoms of this distress, of anxiety, you know, uh, of sleeplessness, and all those feelings is, I think, the first step towards uh, working towards treatment. So I think it's it's time that we, um, you know, uh, start uh, making ourselves and our significant others more sensitive about the signs and symptoms of anxiety and also to be able to be able to clearly make out what is normal anxiety and what is clinical anxiety yeah. so uh, the approach that i 100 percent agree that we have to make peace with this we have to accept it to a certain degree it's just there and yes um, what, what i always try to do is to put things into perspective like you know Obviously, it is a disease that can also kill people or you can feel mm -hmm. ill. But mm -hmm. on the other side, look, just looking at the sheer numbers. So uh, even if you take the U.S., they're, they're kind of cracking the highest score, as it seems, <laughs> um, when it comes mm -hmm. to infections. But it doesn't really matter because if, if you look at the bigger picture there, every year, 2.8 million people die in the U.S. alone, right? There, so right. at some point, I think... Is it also a thing of just accepting that life will come to an end at some point that people kind of get forced to think about that things are, you know, that we're not here forever, that kind of mm -hmm. COVID brings this topic to the front, which we're kind of pushing mm -hmm. away because who wants to die? Nobody wants to die. Obviously, we want to live. We want to feel right. healthy. Uh, and we kind mm -hmm. of tend to many of us, I think, just don't want to think about that. And it's and it's kind of omnipresent now. Because the sheer numbers are not, you know, that it's not as if every second person is going to die. That's not the case. You know, even looking at, hmm. at 2.8 million that die every year and you look at the COVID deaths in the U.S., it's, you know, I think 100, 200,000 people who died, from whom probably many of them would have died because of age or other diseases. Correct. So, Correct. So uh, do you think that's... Uh, uh, one of the topics, and do you think it's helpful to to try to get things into perspective that you don't? Sure, sure, sure. I mean, there there are a lot of things which um, you know. Uh, I mean, the good side of it, people have started uh, talking about mental health. People have started, uh, you know, coming out. Uh, there's so much of stigma attached to uh, you know these topics of. Um, uh, you know, psychological problems and mental health. So finally, people, uh, you know, have started talking about it. I mean, right now, what we're witnessing is a second wave, uh, which is mental health crisis, you know. Uh, and parallelly, we have a sleep crisis. But I don't think I have seen so many people, um, you know, going sleepless at one point of time. So yes, anxiety is a big, big cause that why people are unable to, um, you know, get their daily day dose of uh, good sleep so, so yes i mean anxiety is number one when it comes to anxiety i I, f I personally find that gratitude obviously it's nothing that you know will snip away a heavy especially clinical anxiety that's a different topic they're very hardwired mm -hmm. triggers sometimes but um 
I think gratitude is just such a powerful tool. If you're, you're getting anxious about things and you really tap into the feeling of being grateful, thankful for, for small things, and you just do that exercise Correct. for a couple of minutes, it's just not possible to feel thankful and you know, anxious at the same time. I agree with you. Yes, I do. So, you know, I think that if we can express a compassion for ourselves and others around, uh, you know, who are sharing this experience, it will go a long way uh, to scratching, uh, you know, these anxiety and overthinking uh, condition that both many of us are grappling with at this, uh, you know, point. So uh, acknowledge that you're experiencing a trauma and uh, what I also say is try not to compare your experiences with that of others. So these are some of the other things apart from gratitude and, you know, taking care of your body, you know, exposing yourself to bright light every day because, uh, you know, that, that does wonders in terms of your sleep and also your mood. So these are some of the things, you know, uh, that I, I do tell my clients uh, when I feel that anxiety is something that they are finding overwhelming to cope with. Great. So I know you've got a kid and I've got three. So um, <laughs> let's talk about kids. So what, what's your what's your personal uh, you know, view on how does your kid get along with with COVID? How do you kind of talk with your kid about COVID? And let's let's just kind of dig into that. Yeah, sure. So, Michael, you know, when it comes to kids, I mean, for sure, uh, they don't understand COVID-19, you know, especially um, my, my son is four and a half. Uh, but what I know is that um, they, they notice, you know, when their parents are stressed and they react to their parents' emotional state. So they might not fully comprehend what's COVID-19 and its effect on our health and economy, but they, they do notice that their parents are stressed out, that there is something serious or unusual happening in the world out there because being cooped at home all day is not something uh, you know which they are conditioned or which they should be made to do but then circumstances are such so um, you know so I, instead of being able to explain how they are feeling however uh, you know kids are experiencing their own physical effects of stress and they often show their emotional stress in a physical way like I, I see you know tantrums um, to be an obvious sign of stress and withdrawal is also common. You know, um, a total lack of emotion is often a behavioral change spotted in very young children when they are under stress or anxiety. So, um, and you know, in the, in the past couple of months or so, uh, you know, with regard to periodic sleep, I have seen children who had previously been napping and sleeping through the night, you know, certainly having sleeping problems. And uh, so are their parents. I mean, if kids are not sleeping, obviously there's no way that parents can sleep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's not just the sleep patients, kids, their parents. So lately everyone seems to be having sleep complaints. Yeah, that's, and, uh, and there's a, a social thing too. I'm not sure if, you know, your, your kid was able to see um, kids in the similar age, but in, in many countries there were lockdowns for at least, you know, weeks, sometimes even months. And um, mm -hmm. if kids in, are not able to socialize with, with kids in the same age, not able to go to the kindergarten, nursery schools and, and things like that, that will probably Correct. have an impact too, right? Yes. I mean, they're not just used to, 
<laughs> staying at home all the time. And you know, uh, talking um, as a parent, we are not used to having them around us all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, they have their own routines. I mean, they're going out. They're they're going to you know play schools or kindergartens or you know primary schools, whatever. Uh, then they have their extracurricular activities. They have their own routines. Um, and and now you know they're just home all the time. So yes, they. Uh, I mean, it's difficult for them, you know, and, and they miss seeing their peers, you know, going to birthday parties or, uh, you know, going on play dates, all of that. Yes, they, they are cribbing about that. I must have been just thinking about having a four and a half year now. So I, I don't, mine are a little bit older. That must have been a real mm -hmm. challenge because I can remember those times and I feel so lucky that my kids are now 15, 13 and 11. So it was, and we've okay. got a little garden. So <laughs> It was kind yeah. of easier from that perspective. Think of how that would have been, you know, years ago. Oh, my God, that would have been horrible. <laughs> so. But then I think uh, then, then we talked them out. So a few of the things that I, um, you know, that worked with me and my son and also what I, um, uh, you know, suggest my clients is that uh, in, in stressful times, you know, for children to cope with um, a friendly talk or, you know, having a sympathetic body um, language, uh, you know, makes them feel safe and secure. So explain them, obviously, you can't tell them the nitty gritties, but then telling them that, look, we are in a situation and this is for our safety and this is for our good, that we need to stay indoors or, you know, these are the do's and these, these are the don'ts. So um, I, I think they get it. What, what I did or we did, my wife and, and me, we, we kind of told our kids that it's not dangerous for kids anyway, because just look at the numbers again at that point, I, I said, that's a good thing to lay out. You know, nothing's going to happen to you. You're completely safe. And what you said, you know, but here are the rules. You know, we have to do this. We have to wear a mask, obviously, when we're going shop, shopping or things like that. And we have to, you know, kind of uh, get to bring the, the, you know, the social things that we're doing down to minimum so now they're able to meet friends again but only you know very okay. we narrowed down that and that wasn't able mm -hmm. for you know i think for two months so these are mm -hmm. things but it's, i think it's easier on my side than uh, if, you know, even as, as your side with four and a half years or or people out there who have even younger kids because at some point you, they they can't understand this right i can consciously tell my kids something they're going to understand it and say okay i know how we're going to handle this but even with the four and a half year it's just harder and if you've got a two and a half year you can just forget it it's probably not going to work <laughs> yeah so i think i mean we um so i mean when parents approach me that you know how do we deal with this uh, situation so i i tell them that you know we have studies revealing that uh, children are young kids you know they benefit when we treat them as conversation partners so acknowledging their feelings you know uh, they're not feeling up to it you know um, or um, whatever it is you know so acknowledge their feelings responding to, to their implied questions and offering them the support when they are distressed. So not only do these tactics teach uh, children to cope with their negative emotions, like I talked about their sentence throwing and their withdrawal and all of that, and these are clear uh, you know, signs and symptoms of stress and anxiety, and of course, sleep. So, so there are a lot of disturbed sleep patterns that um, lately I have been seeing in children. So you know, all these things, uh, when, when you treat them as a conversation, uh, partner, you know, um, it uh, it helps babies or children to develop more 
secure, healthy attachment, you know, kind of relationship, a deeper uh, bonding with their parents. And also, you know, how I typically um, tell my clients is that it is completely up to you how you want your kids to remember this pandemic, say a decade from now. You know, it's, if we look at the brighter side, it is an opportunity for you to uh, create memories which are going to stay with your child forever for his entire lifetime because of the simple reason that we have never uh, spent so much of time together, 24 hours together with our children. I mean, it doesn't happen anymore, Michael, in the kind of world that we are living, you know. Um, they have so much to do. Kids have so much of pressure. I mean, academics and other things, you know. So, so I tell them, you know, I tell all my parents that, look, this is opportunity for you to create memories and, you know, have stronger, deeper connection with your kids. So make them feel loved. Shower them with hugs and kisses. Make them their favorite meal with them. So involve yourself in active listening, you know, uh, compliment them so that they feel, uh, you know, a positive, uh, you know, so obviously compliment them with genuine praises, include them, um, you know, in daily uh, household chores, because I, I also feel that it is a great time for children to be working on their life skills. I mean, there's a lot that they, you know, that they study knowledge, learning, and all of that, but then life skills, you know, the basic life skills. Um, I think it's, it's a perfect opportunity for us as parents to be involving them and, you know, um, exposing them to basic life skills that they must be knowing, be that cooking or washing or gardening or, you know, whatever. So my, my child um, helps me in everything because we hardly have any help at home. So we are mostly managing the show. <laughs> on our own so 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 you know he he is engaged and he's learning so many things in the whole process so i think it's ultimately uh you know uh, it, it it boils down to us as parents that what memories are we giving them it's something that oh my god you know i was i was under you know um, lockdown and i was under home curfew and i couldn't step out and all of that you know or yet that yes i remember painting a rainbow with my mom and putting it on the window you know or helping her out in kitchen or you know things like that so so yeah. monica i love what you just laid out i think it's the master plan that everybody of our listeners <laughs> who's a parent should just take you know Spreading love to your kids, yeah. keeping in mind that you're creating the memories that your, your kid is going to, that your entire yes. family is going to have. You're yes. creating reality. And uh, I think we should never forget, it doesn't matter how much they see in the outside, especially small kids in the outside or in TV or in newspapers or whatever. Important is what the parents do. That's their number one focus. And if you that's number one, calmness, number one, you know. So, so mostly people will ask me, or my clients will ask me, you know, parents, you know, of of uh, younger ones, that um, what are like do's and don'ts, you know. So I tell them that you know, children are like sponges, you know, they absorb everything. So just be mindful, just be careful about what you are talking about, coronavirus and death toll and all of that in front of them because they're absorbing. They might not understand the nitty-gritties, but they know that this is serious and this is not, you know, a hunky-dory or a rosy picture. So they absorb how you talk. You, they absorb what you talk. You know, they, they absorb everything, you know, things like how you manage money or how you deal with crises and challenges. 
So we are role playing for them, you know? So how we treat ourselves, if we complain too much, you know, their habits come from our habits. So this is something that as a parent that we need to uh, remind ourselves, you know? So yes, so, so I tell parents that don't consume too much of news in front of them. Don't discuss coronavirus, you know, too much in front of them. Don't talk about death toll. Don't talk about positive cases in front of them. What you can do is make them feel valued, give your attention, give your presence, give your quality time, you know, demonstrate respect because we are their role models. Show more positivity, you know, not just amongst ourselves, but also the world outside. So um, just, just, just to bridge that one too, you know, uh, to, to your parents, it's, what you're doing here is essentially good for yourself too. Maybe even, you know, when, because if you have to be strong for somebody else, like your kid, mm -hmm. put away anxiety because you know your kid needs a strong father, Correct. strong mother, then that's, that's going to be something that, that's going to give you purpose in acting in yes. a different way that you might yes. not be able to do if you wouldn't have kids. So that's going to give back mm -hmm. to you too. Yes. Just from and, a you know, perspective. That's what, yes, and that's what I mean when I say this is a perfect stage for skill building, for for us to be role models, you know. So um, healthy coping habits, more of skill building habits. You know, if I'm exercising, my son is watching me, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's automatically I'm passing on to him. So these are the kind of things that, you know, I, I do it with my son and I, uh, you know, suggest my clients as well that let's focus, let's concentrate on the positivity, the positive aspect of so much time that we have in our hands right now because, you know, we're working for home and, you know, we can't socialize much. We don't have the usual routine, which we've been doing all of our life. So, um, for, you know, I tell them it's a honeymoon period if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So just look yeah. at the time. We're, we're kind of a little bit longer than I used to usually have this podcast, but I would like to scratch at least one topic, and that is our health. Because on the other side, uh, we're, mm -hmm. we're talking about anxiety, we're talking about all these things, and there are so much things that we can do. And sleep is obviously mm -hmm. probably the most important thing that we can do for our health. So just looking Correct. at what Matthew Walker has got this book, uh, Why We Sleep. It's a bestseller, big thing, and uh, he, he lays out a lot of things. But on one thing, he kind of references study where he, they took people that were sleeping on average, you know, around about at least more than seven hours, and people that were sleeping only five hours. And then hmm. they kind of analyzed these people when they got in touch with the virus, with the flu, right? And mm -hmm. whether, you know, the yeah. group that only got, you know, five hours of sleep got sick to 50%. Mm -hmm. 50%. And the mm -hmm. ones that slept at least seven hours only got, six to, uh, got sick 18%. That was the number. So mm -hmm. if you have 100 people, you know, it's the difference of 50 people getting sick or 18. And that's the power of sleep. Only sleep more than seven hours or sleep around five hours. I think that's so important, isn't it, to, to kind of create awareness that the one thing is what's happening yes. outside, but the other thing is what can we do by simple things like sleeping enough to fight against corona or other health diseases. Correct. Correct. So, you know, um, like what I say that um, everybody's talking about ways to immune, uh, to boost immunity, you know, what to eat, how 
what to eat, how much to eat, you know, what exercise, all of that. But then I think the biggest uh, missing puzzle of our um, immunity boosting formula, which is sleep, is completely missing, you know. So uh, nobody's really talking about uh, the effect uh, good sleep can have on building our immunity. So, so, so we have so much of research. We have, yes, it's, un, it's unbelievable. I mean, studies after studies have shown that how sleep uh, helps you to boost your immunity. It helps you to recover, you know, and uh, in contrast, if you, if you are sleeping, if you're sleep deficit, then how it delays your recovery. Yeah. And you're also going to look better. You're going to be in a better mood and so oh, yes. on, more productive. So yes. it's all proven. Uh, somebody yes. once said, you know, if, if you could get a pill that could deliver on these promises that sleep really delivers on, you know, you would be rich. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, but the message needs to be, needs to get out there. <laughs> and one thing when it comes to our health, you know, an immune system, one a good thing to do is having a cold shower. So I'm kind of in this little challenge with myself, inspired through Wim mm -hmm. Hof, to do cold showers. Oh. This is good for the wow. immune system too, but I can assure you that having a good night of sleep is far more enjoyable than having a cold shower. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> definitely go saying that from your experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, um, yeah, I mean, if, if we talk about the connection between, um, sleep and our physical health, then uh, we have so many studies, you know, with us and, um, studies after studies have shown that, um, Poor sleep is affected in contributing to weight gain and obesity. Uh, you know, then we have um, studies highlighting the connection between sleep and hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, dementia, Alzheimer, and even um, cancer for that matter. You know, so um, yes, yeah, so it's it it goes far beyond you know feeling uh, fatigued or tired or having a bad mood the next day. You know. Um, so what I say is that, um, um, you know, there is no single um, aspect of your health which can go unharmed at the cost of sleeplessness. So Monica, now that we had this wonderful conversation, what would be your most important tip or what, what should people do that suffer anxiety, notice that their sleep is getting a hit to kind of recover? Yeah, so, you know, um, as we just mentioned about that, let's first be sensitive to signs and symptoms of anxiety and also insomnia and some of the signs or telltales what I call of insomnia can, um, you know, look like when um, we have trouble uh, falling asleep or initiating sleep or when we have frequent awakenings, you know, waking up several times in the middle of the night and remaining awake sometimes for hours. Uh, then uh, people who have sleeping difficulties, they end up taking frequent and long naps during the day. They have difficulty concentrating at work. They are found falling asleep at inappropriate times, you know, mostly while sitting, um, you know, idle or watching TV or reading something like that. Then waking up too early in the morning, say they're wide awake at 4 a.m., 3.30, 4.30 a.m. Um, and they don't have any reason, you know, to be waking up that early loud snoring, breathing or gasping noises while you are asleep. That is another very important indicator of an underlying sleep disorder. Then some people, uh, there is a condition, you know, in sleep disorders where there is an irresistible urge to move your legs 
or a tingling or an unpleasant sensation or a crawling feeling in the legs, particularly at bedtime, you know, and also people who feel that they require a stimulant such as caffeine to keep yourself awake during the daytime. So these are some of the telltales of sleeplessness or warning signs of sleep disorder. Also perpetual fatigue and irritability during the day. You know, even after getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night, uh, you know, uh, people will complain of reduced physical strength. So they feel tired, they feel lethargic, they feel lazy, they feel as if they don't have energy, you know. So every single morning they have to drag themselves out of the bed. So it's not that, okay, fine, it's a good day and let me kick start. So that refreshing feeling is missing, you know, if you're chronically sleep right or if there is an underlying sleep disorder. So first thing first is that we need to be sensitive about these signs and symptoms and be mindful of being aware, you know, and ask yourself this question, what is my relationship with sleep? Is it good? Do I wake up feeling happy and rejuvenated and, um, you know, refreshed or irritable, groggy, grumpy? Yeah. Okay. Now coming about to the recommendation part. Well, uh, when we talk about good quality, uh, sleep, it is determined by three things, the preparation, environment, and timings. So environment or the surrounding, it plays a very, very important role. And when we talk about environment or surrounding, it's not just the physical environment, you know, like the light or the sound or temperature, but also the internal aspect, you know, the internal environment, how you feel about yourself you know, some anxiety, some stress, low mood, overthinking, helplessness, hopelessness, worthlessness, these kind of feelings. Um, and also, you know, um, we always tell our sleep patients that you must create and maintain a very consistent sleep practices and schedule. And it's best to have a bedtime ritual, pre-bedtime ritual, you know. So set a regular bedtime and pair it with a set time to wake up. The more consistent you wake up, your wake up time, the more consistent your body functions. And then it's the same as with children, you know, with adults, cut down screen time before bedtime. And I typically say that before you say goodnight to your partner, say to your gadgets, you know, so turn off all your electronic gadgets at least an hour before bedtime. And the rule which I follow at my home, and I also suggest all my clients is that do not bring electronic gadgets to your bedroom. It's best that you keep them out or at least away from your bed, you know, I mean, you have to put them in charge and all of that. So if you can't really, um, you know, leave them outside your bedroom, then at least keep them out of your bed. And then the caffeine, caffeine alcohol and big meals right before bedtime. Caffeine is another, uh, you know, big problem and a barrier to good night's sleep. And so is alcohol. I mean, alcohol is the most, um, um, you know, abused substance, you know, it is uh, taken as uh, the most abused sleeping aid. People drink alcohol so that, you know, sleep initiation becomes easy for them without realizing that, you know, alcohol is actually ripping them off deep sleep. Yeah. So, uh, so, so yes, then this is another uh, big no-no before bedtime. Um, avoid eating big meals at night and try to finish dinner at least a couple of hours uh, before bedtime, that's another suggestion. Uh, you know, the same goes for um, smoking before bedtime. And uh, because all of this shortens the duration of our, uh, you know, sleep. 
and uh, nicotine keeps us stimulating, which uh, you know leads to the problem of early um, onset of um, um, sleep. So these are some of the things you know which I suggest all my clients, uh, you know, when they are um, struggling with their sleep. That that was kind of a, a whole bunch of good tips, and I'm sure you know that uh, that is super helpful. Maybe before we kind of close our session today, what would be the number one thing to think of in regards to COVID? I think of people who are working in the home office now, uh, don't maybe don't have the structure that they had in place before. What would be the, your number one tip for people that are suffering from bad sleep, kind of related to COVID and their home office, working in the home office? Also, I, I would say that, um, yes, I mean, Zoom fatigue, uh, we all know is zapping our energy, you know, so when, um, you know, when we talk about working from home, the first thing I tell my clients is that make home office space feel different from leisure space. You know, I mean, it's not that you are eating on the same bed, you have your laptop on the same bed, you're working in the same space. So have a different setup a home office and have a different feel. So you got to have a different space to hang out, you know, a lounge, a place for a leisure space, um, you know, and then, you know, a different setup where actually you can sit and work uh, for, uh, you know, that is one thing. And another thing, uh, you know, with regards to Zoom fatigue, which is also taking a toll on our sleep is that um, I tell is that you should do some meetings over the phone instead, because when you are on phone, you can, you can take a few steps, you can go outside, take some, uh, you know, fresh air, you can expose yourself to bright light. So, um, I mean, if, if you can, then schedule some meetings over phone rather than, you know, staying glued to screen. And then again, we are absorbing a lot of blue light, you know, so, uh, work from home thing. What I'll say is that, uh, be disciplined. I mean, um, just be more mindful towards the, the amount of blue light that we are consuming because we just talked about that, that it's, it delays secretion of melatonin, you know, and then the whole thing delays your sleep onset. And also take refreshing pauses between meetings, you know, um, like uh, I, I suggest to my patients, you know, they can stand at one place and do uh, jumping jacks or skipping or jumping, you know, or they can quickly go uh, and see their children, you know, or grab, uh, you know, some um, healthy fruit. So, so take a refreshing pause between meetings and also avoid scheduling meetings back to back, you know. So, so keep some time um, between meetings and also resist the urge to multitask. <laughs> I always say that, you know, without really realizing it, but uh, it, it, it's really, really... Uh, uh, you know, drains um, you out and your energy. And choose um, a speaker view. That's another thing that I tell them. And also, you know, before getting into meeting, I always tell my clients that settle and ground your attention before st starting the meeting. So, so don't carry that baggage, you know, into the meeting that will only, um, you know, lower your efficiency and your productivity and also drain you down. So that was a big bag of things that you can do at home <laughs> to um, yes. kind of get in into the driver's seat. And with that, I'm going to close up this week's session. Monica, it was lovely and a pleasure to have you here on the Sleep Trust Podcast. Thanks for taking your time. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me.
And I'm sure down the road, we're going to have the opportunity to have a session like this over a different topic again. For now, that's it. Looking for this forward week. to it. Yeah. yeah, same here. That's it for this week's episode of the Sleep Trust Podcast. I hope you enjoyed yourself and that you tune in next week where we are going to talk about a topic that I still have to choose. Until then, have a superb sleep.